Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Amen. Amen. Church family, good evening. It's so glad to be so good to be with you this evening. We can get some amens and some vibes in chat. So thank you for Greg. Listen, I'm just like really I'm reflecting because Lux has been growing and there's been more and more and new people who have been uh, part of our community recently. And that's been super powerful and really, really cool. And I'm also realizing like, hey, it's really, really great that we have all of these new people that are here and I'm seeing your names in chat and you're here week after week. And I'm like, how long? Are we actually going to be able to do prayer the way that we're doing it? But I'm just so thankful that, you know, we may not be able to do it like we're doing it forever because it, it just could become too much as we grow. Um, but I'm thankful that we're growing and I'm thankful that we've had the season that we've had over this last year to be able to weekly come together and to pray for one another and to lift one another up to the Lord. I think that's powerful and important. So Lux, my name is Mark. I'm the lead pastor here of Lux Digital Church. And I'm going to thank you for coming and joining us, especially if you're here for the very first time. If this is your first time with us, I just want to thank you for being here. We have prayed for you. We've prepared for you. And you are, are here for an intention and a purpose. Whether you stumbled into our stream or you got invited by a friend because of the subject that we're covering tonight, no matter what it is, we want you to know that we're glad that you're here. Whenever you feel comfortable, drop a follow here on the stream or say hello in the chat as we just want to welcome you and say hi. We're not going to do anything weird. I'm going to send you a, a direct message uh, from the Lux channel here tomorrow just welcoming you into our community and inviting you to join us on discord you can check your your twitch dms tomorrow if you do click the follow button tonight um just because we want to let you know we're a different type of community we're not the average or normal streaming community and we're so honored and privileged to be able to have you here with us tonight if you're joining us online later either from you know a podcast or youtube and you're part of our on-demand family i want to invite you to come and join us next week because next week we're going to have a live professional counselor who's going to be in here oh actually he's going to be on a call but he's going to be joining us next week and we're really excited to have him and you can't really properly participate in the conversation next week without actually being in the chat and having the ability to ask questions i want to invite you to come and join us next week right now we are in week two are we, I'm sorry, week three of a six-week series of messages on mental health. This series is called Strong, and we have been talking throughout this about anxiety and addiction and depression. And, you know, we're, we're striding into this series um, after Easter because we just know how many people inside of our community and inside the gaming community in general struggle with mental health. And we know the church has often failed to talk about this subject very well. Either we've ignored it and haven't talked about it, it or the way in which we've talked about it has been unhelpful or damaging to people. So it's been on our heart to engage in this conversation in the healthiest way possible. So each part of this series, each part takes up two weeks. Week one, I am bringing some conversation of what I see from the Bible about the subject. So week one, we did anxiety. And then on the second week of each subject, we're bringing in a, prof a, a mental health professional to come in and have a conversation with a live question and answer time so that you can have your questions answered and we can get some very 
very real, very practical first steps towards fighting for mental stability and for mental health. So last week we had a professional counselor who was on who specializes in the area of anxiety and we had a great conversation with her. So I hope that you were able to join us for that. And if you missed it and you want to go back and watch it, it is on YouTube. And I think there's even the live interviews on podcast as well if you want to look us up uh, on any place that you listen to podcasts. So this week we're going to be doing something new and talking about something new. But before we dive into that subject, which is a pretty heavy one, I want to go to the key statement for this series. Each message in our series has one key statement that links all of our messages together. And this one is this, I am stronger than I have permitted myself to be. I am stronger than I have permitted myself to be. I'm going to say it one more time, and this time, if you would, if you feel comfortable, I'm not going to hear you, so it's not like you're in a, a room with me, but if you would say it out loud wherever you are, and even if you want to say it quietly out loud because you don't want other people in your house to hear you or whatever, that's fine, but if you would say it with me, I am stronger than I have permitted myself to be. We've been saying this throughout this series out loud together because I believe that there's power and opportunity for transformation when we speak things out. Now, that doesn't mean that simply speaking something will make it happen. That's almost never the case. We need to change aspects of our life. But in my, in my experience, many people who are struggling in mental health have oftentimes bought into a handful of lies that say that I'm weak, that I'm broken, or that I'm useless. And we've bought these lies and we live these lives out and they impact our life. And so when we go into the conversation about mental health and mental stability, we go in from a position of defeat instead of coming in from a position of victory. And I think it's important when we enter these conversations that we enter into them with the desire to actually get healthier. And we enter into them with the thought that, no, we actually have a God who's on our side, who is strong, who's more than what we are in this God who we worship in we praise is capable of doing immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We are stronger than we give ourselves permission to be. We're more capable than we allow ourselves to be. We're more resilient than we allow ourselves to be. There's strength that can be found in you. And if you know Jesus, there's strength that can be found in reliance on God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, uh, when we launched this collection of messages, I made sure that we did so with a handful of disclaimers. And through each portion where I'm going to be teaching, I'm going to be giving those disclaimers again, and I'm actually going to be adding to them. So uh, two weeks ago, I gave you three disclaimers. The first one is this. I'm not a health, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a mental health professional. I, I don't have experience in the mental health field. I have many years of experience doing counseling with people as a pastor. And so when I speak tonight, specifically around the subject that we're going to talk about, just want to let you know that I'm speaking from my personal experience and I am speaking from the counseling that I've done and I am speaking uh, from what I know of the Bible. But I'm not speaking from the position of a mental health professional. The next disclaimer that I want to give is the church has often entered into the conversations around mental health, specifically around what we're going to talk about tonight. And instead of helping people, they've damaged people, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But largely, that's what happens inside the church. When we talk about mental health, we hurt people. And I want to let you know that tonight, my goal, nor is my intention, ever going to be to heap on guilt, to make you feel worse, to make Make you feel less than or to hurt you or to injure you in any way. If that's my impact, I just want to apologize ahead of time because it is absolutely and will never be my intent. 
The third disclaimer uh, that I wanted to give is that we're, we're not going to overcome this stuff over the course of six weeks. As we're talking about anxiety, addiction, and depression, likely whatever it is that you're going through, if you're suffering from one of these three things or this is part of your life, it's very likely that over the next six weeks, you're not just going to become miraculously cured of it. It's going to take work. What we're giving is starting points, not ending points. It's about beginning the journey towards mental stability and mental health. We're not trying to get you to the conclusion of that story throughout the collection of this series. And my final disclaimer, which I'm adding on tonight, is that as I share part of my narrative in my story as it relates to the subject, I want you to know that it's not there or intended to trigger you or to give you permission to continue in your own addictions. I, I, as an addict, I know how my mind works and I know that often um, when somebody shares and typically I would dive into the subject and I would share everything that's gone on in my life. I, I would just pour my heart out. And as I was preparing for this message, I was convicted about that because I've realized that sometimes when I've heard people to do that, they've actually caused me to stumble instead of helping me. And so if there's any point in tonight's message when I feel guarded or I feel like I'm holding something back or I'm not telling you something, please understand it's not because I have a problem with airing out my dirty laundry on the internet or to lots of people. Transparency and authenticity are insanely important to me because of my history with the church and my spiritual hurt and my church hurt from my past. So authenticity and transparency is terribly important to me. But what's also important to me is that by sharing my story, I'm not doing harm to other people. And so as I share some of my story tonight and my experiences in the area of addiction, I want you to know that I have those things in the back of my mind. Now, with that being said, I'm going to introduce the subject tonight. We're talking about addiction. It's the natural next part of the conversation after anxiety. Why? Well, because anxiety causes us to desperately search for relief. I don't know if you've ever been anxious before. I, I realized some of the my conversation last week with Deb that I have maybe had more scenes of anxiety in my life than I knew. Maybe some that I had not identified as being anxiety. Maybe I just identified them as feeling stressed out or feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And so when we enter into a season of anxious things or, or we suffer with anxiety as a disorder, what it causes us to do is look for release or look for escape. We're consistently looking for an opportunity to get out of those negative feelings. And our world today is full of opportunities to escape negative realities. If you think about it, really just in the past couple of generations, those things have multiplied exponentially. There are more and more and more things that are in our lives that enable us to escape bad feelings or bad things. We're able to just run from one thing to the next. And the problem is oftentimes, and we're going to get into a little bit, I'm not a, a you know, I'm not a, you know, a, a scientist or anything or know a lot about the human brain, but I've done some research on addiction throughout my life. So I know a little bit about it. The problem is, is that our brain always naturally takes the course of least resistance. And so when our brain fires electrons across it, if it finds a path of least resistance, it's going to take that path. And as it takes those paths repeatedly over and over again, those paths become ingrained in us and they develop habits and those habits can eventually form or develop into addictions. And so we keep going back to the same things. Once our brain finds something that works, we continue to go back to that thing for relief. So in a world where anxiety is at an all-time high and releases and escapes are more plentiful than ever before in human history, it is no surprise that my generation and younger generations deal with addiction rampantly. Why? Because we have had no opportunity to build resiliency. 
Resiliency is the ability to persevere in light of adversity. And in our world, we have so many opportunities to escape from adversity. It just makes logical sense that we also struggle to build up resiliency and a lack of resiliency and self-control makes it hard to fight and protect ourselves from addiction. And addiction is rampant in our world. So what does the Bible actually have to say about addiction? Because that's kind of my question when I get into any one of these subjects. And, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm not a, a mental health professional. And so I'm not trying to give advice from a medical point of view, but I am a pastor. So I'm trying to give some advice from a spiritual point of view, from what the Bible has to say. So what does the Bible have to say about addiction? And as it turns out, like, not a lot. Like honestly, like there's just not a tremendous amount that the Bible has to say about addiction. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. One, a couple of thousand years ago, a lot of the addictions and the problems that exist today simply did not exist. Like you're not going to flip open the pages of the Bible and see where Jesus teaches about social media addiction at the Garden of Gethsemane or at Sermon on the Mount. You're not going to flip in and see where Paul writes to Peter and it says Peter Paul says uh, Paul says Paul writes to Timothy and says Timothy be careful of internet pornography. You're not going to see Peter writing to the church in Jerusalem and he you know he's not going to write to the church in Jerusalem and he's not going to warn them about getting hooked on prescription pain medication. You're not going to see John sitting on the island and he's going to be writing to the churches and he's he's telling them and warning them of all of the, the various 2022 addictions like video game addiction and screen addiction and all of these different things they're not going to be writing those things those things simply did not exist in fact the the addictions that did exist in the time when the bible was written and is written about fairly often is addiction to alcohol addiction to food and addiction to sex and those things are obviously rampant and wild inside of our culture and many of the addictions that are we exist in our world today are spin-offs of one of those three of alcohol of food or of sex but the bible does comment on repetitive habits of sin in our life and it does comment about forgiveness and about redemption and so although the Bible doesn't directly address many of the addictions that you or I may be facing today the Bible does certainly address the concept in the book of Hebrews probably one of the scariest passages in all of the New Testament it says this if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment in the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God Potentially, like, I don't know, it, it put a five in chat if that is like, just terrifying to you. Could you, like, could you guys respond? It's, like, weird. Like, chat's really quiet tonight. Put a five in chat if that's, like, the scariest passage ever. Like, I read that and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is a really absolutely terrifying passage. Like, I look at it and I'm like, holy cow. Like, this is serious. You know, the only the fearful expectation of the judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Like, dang, bro, that's serious. That's serious stuff. But I also know that while this passage is scary, I find comfort in the words of Jesus that when he says he comes to set the captive free. He comes to set the captive free. And in my own history and story of addiction, which I'm going to share with you in a moment, I have a long story of wanting to be free. 
And Jesus came to set me free. And then I also know that the Apostle Paul wrote this passage, which is deeply encouraging to me from the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39, it says this, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or the worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the most encouraging and deeply moving passages in all of the New Testament comes from the Apostle Paul. And it's so moving and life-changing for me because it's like there's, there's opportunity to be freed from the things that have chained me up and has held me and has kept me captive throughout my life. And there's forgiveness despite the fact that I've stumbled over and over again because there is nothing that is able to separate me and keep me. There's nothing that can separate you. There's nothing that can keep Keep you from the love of the Father. That while those who repeat and live in their sin, and I've been there, like I've done it, and I, I've sworn that I never do it again, and I've been back to it, and I felt the guilt, and I felt the shame, and I felt the numbness, and I felt like I didn't care, and I felt like all I did was care. I've been all over the place in the spectrum when it comes to this subject that we're going to talk about tonight, but I can tell you this that these passages have both challenged and encouraged me. And so the Bible cares deeply and God cares deeply about the things that hold us fast, the things that chain us up, the addictions in our life. And God desires to not just set us free, but to forgive us from the very things that we fear can and will condemn us. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. If you've been around Lux for any length of time, you likely know that addiction has been part of my narrative and part of my spiritual journey, and it also is a major contributor and part of the spiritual journey and spiritual stories of the people that call our church their spiritual home. I think the community, gaming community, truthfully, attracts people with addictive personalities, and we're actually going to talk about the way the brain works and addictive personalities in the post-show briefly tonight. See, when I get into something, I tend to obsess over it. It just consumes me. If I'm into a game, I go to sleep thinking about it. When I wake up, I wake up thinking about it. My life gets consumed by the things that I'm into. If you actually look at the definition for the word addicted, which I wrote down here, so I'm going to read to you. It won't be on the screen. It says physically or mentally dependent on a particular substance or the inability to stop taking it without incurring adverse effects. Now, the definition is pretty open, and obviously it deals specifically with substances from outside your body, but I think it has the opportunity to be expanded even further, depending on what you view to be adverse effects. For me, an adverse effect is wanting to stop something but being incapable of stopping stopping it. Wanting to stop something, but being incapable of stopping it is when something that was supposed to aid me overcomes the boundaries of what it was supposed to be in my life. It no longer serves its purpose. It's now chained me. It no longer serves me, but I serve it. I don't know if you've ever been there before. 
And if I look at that in definition and I think, okay, what are some of the things in my life that I would like to stop but seem incapable to stop? Well, those things are right now, it's, it's super auto pets. Uh, right now, it's staying up until 1230. Right now, it's a bowl of cereal before I go to bed. Right now, it's driving too fast. Uh, and, and these are some of the things that might be like a little like benign in comparison to the things that I've struggled with. But, you know, there was a time in my life, I remember when I was playing World of Warcraft and I was heavily addicted to the game. And I literally, it was during Burning Crusade, and I literally took the CDs that I had from the from the collector's edition and the base game, and I took them outside the back of my parents' house, and I had to light them on fire. Literally watched the CDs melt in a fire, because that is what I had to do to break free from the addiction that I had to WoW at the time. And if you know me and you've listened to me speak, then you know that my life has also been largely, you know, um, interrupted by or shaped by, in some way, shape, or form, uh, a pornography addiction since I was a teenager, since I was in middle school. I'm not going to dive too deep into the exact details of what that is, primarily because I know the brain of an addict, and I specifically know the brain of a porn addict, and I know that as as somebody who's uh, lived that life, I know the permission and um, the enabling that you can do for yourself when you know that somebody else is struggling. Instead of it encouraging you and challenging you, what it typically ends up doing is enabling you. But I was first introduced to pornography as a middle school student um, at like a at like a buddy's house after school one day on a website that was supposed to have games on it for kids. And I won't get into the details once again because I know it can be triggering. But I wish there was a lot of things that I knew uh, that I know today. I, I wish that I would have known then. There's a lot of things that I that I know today that I wish I would have known then. I wish I would have known then that what I was participating in and what I was submitting my brain to wouldn't be easy to stop. I wish I would have known then that I couldn't just say that I'm done, that it would be years and years of work. I wish I would have known then that there was neural pathways being carved into the very fabric and nature of my brain, that my brain would race down again and again and again and again. I wish somebody would have told me that it would corrupt and destroy my understanding of women and intimacy and I would have to work hard to reclaim it. I wish that somebody would have told me that it would be hard and it would be a struggle once I got married. I wish that somebody would have told me that as I, I had children and I had little girls that I would look at my little girls and I would know some of the darkness and some of the horrid, horrid, I'm going to swear shit that's out there in the world today. And I wish I would have known then that raising my daughters, that I would have anxiety for them because of the crap that I knew that existed in the world. I wish somebody would have been able to tell me that what I was doing to myself was going to threaten to destroy my life. I wish someone would have told me that it wasn't going to be as easy as saying no, but it would be years and years of work and failure. I wish somebody would have told me that when I gave in, that the numbness that comes with sin ends up more painful than dealing with the sin itself and confessing what was going on in my life. I wish somebody would have told me. I wish I would have known. 
I wish I would have known that this thing would be able to put chains on my life that would be insanely difficult to break, that would haunt me, and that would fill me with guilt and with shame. I wish I would have known. But the truth is, in some ways, I did know. In fact, the Bible kind of told me. In the book of John, it says this. The Apostle John wrote, it's not the book of John, it's 1 John. The Apostle John wrote, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust is a, a word that's most commonly uh, related to or connected to sex or sexual addiction. And it's true, but it's also bigger than that. Lust in this particular passage, as it's translated, John isn't just trying to describe sexual fantasy or sexual desire. He's also trying to dig into something a little bit deeper than that. He's talking about whenever our desires, and some of them are God-given, holy, sanctified, beautiful, and good things, move out of the world where they serve us and instead move into the place where we serve them. He's talking about desire when it's unkept and untamed and left to run rampant throughout our life. If you think about it, any desire or lust for anything is almost in some ways barbaric. It's almost like saying my desire for something has permission to control my actions and what I do and how I live my life. It has permission to control my relationships, to manipulate me and to keep me under its thumb. I want to say something before I get into this because I I missed something that I think is really, really important um, that I'm going to I'm going to unpack before we get into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. There's a common lie that's being told to us um, throughout our life whenever we're dealing with addiction. See, whenever I was dealing with my addiction, I thought that I would be able to handle it in high school, and I couldn't. And I thought I would handle it in college, and I couldn't. And I thought I would handle it in the early years of my ministry, and I couldn't. And I thought I would handle it in the early years of my marriage, and I couldn't. And although things got better and damage got mitigated, and I was getting healthier, I couldn't seem to kick it. And I knew that I needed help. I knew in high school that I needed help. I knew in college full well that I needed help. I knew after college that I needed help. And the funny thing is that sitting on my desk for a year was a number for a therapist, a counselor who was a Christian who dealt very specifically with sex and gambling addiction. And it was sitting on my desk and I would use it when people would come to me with their addiction issues, I would send them to this guy. But I myself wouldn't pick up the phone and dial the number. Why? Because I believed a simple lie that all addiction whispers into our head and continues to use it to control us. And it's this, I can handle it. If there's a lie that comes from the very pit of hell, the lie that comes from the pit of hell that keeps people in chains, it prevents them from connecting and prevents them from building relationships, prevents them from confessing, prevents them from seeking help, prevents them from seeking God, prevents them from putting their faith in Jesus, prevents them from being saved, and ultimately sends them back to the place that the very lie came from. It is this, I can handle it. 
Every time we believe the lie that we can handle it, when contrary to that lie, all evidence would point to the fact that we, in fact, cannot handle it. We continue to live in chains. The first step to being broken free from addiction in your life is stop lying to yourself. And I'm not saying this to try to be angry with you. I'm saying it because I was mad with me, mad at me. I cannot handle it. It is bigger than me. It's a monster. It's a dragon. It desires to devour my life. I cannot handle it. And until I came to the point to acknowledge I cannot handle it, I didn't have the single best tool in my life for fighting for freedom, and that was Brady. And the day that I called Brady three years ago was a turning point in my story, in my narrative, because it is when God began to break the chains off of me because I rejected the lie that said I can handle it. And I picked up the phone and I called for help. I've been meeting with Brady now for three years. I continue to meet for him for maintenance. And next week, that same Brady who I meet for personally, who's now just become so near and dear to my heart, is going to be live with us. That's who our guest is next week. My personal counselor, Brady, who specializes in gambling and sex addiction, is going to be here talking with us. Now, when we go back to the teachings from John and he talks to us about the pride of life, about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, let's break down what those things mean and how that might impact our life. First off, the lust of the flesh. Most likely this connects to sinful desires that incorporate our physical body. It would make sense. The lust of the flesh. And specifically, I think what John is looking at here is when the God-given desires that we have, right? When the God-given desire that we have to drink because we're thirsty becomes rampant in our life to the point of drunkenness. When the God-given desire in our life for food because we're hungry becomes out of control and we become gluttonous. When the God-given desire in our life becomes out of control and exits our marriage and runs rampant and destroys people's lives because of sexual sin then all of those things come together. And, and he's saying, listen, this wants to destroy your life. When you lust with the flesh and you allow the desires that God has given you to not serve you, but to serve them, it becomes addiction. The, the, the lust of the eyes, and what's interesting about this concept of the lust of the eyes is it, it connects to something much deeper. You see, for the Jew in the first century, the eyes were not just what you saw with, they were the lamp to the soul. What you saw with your eyes and what you consumed with them were a picture into the center of your being. And here John is saying the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes is, is unchecked ambition. It's unchecked ambition. It's desire that goes for your neighbor's thing. It's jealousy. It's pride. It's condemnation. It's comparison. And finally, the pride of life. And all of us have a certain amount of pride in life, but this is humanity's most basic sin, which is I do not need God. I've got this. I've got this. The pride of life. The truth is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes leads us to addiction. We learn because anxiety provokes in us the desire to escape. In the desire to escape, we go to escapisms. Those escapisms lead us to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes becomes ingrained in our brain, building neural pathways that our brain lazily will take over and over and over and over and over again until our brain cannot stop taking them. In a desire to break free from those addictions, we end up not doing so because of the pride of life and the consistent saying in our life that I can handle this. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need confession. No one needs to know. 
I can handle this. I've got this. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes chains us and the pride of life keeps us chained. So what can we do? I mean, honestly, what we can be, I mean, come on, I haven't exactly painted a very hope-filled picture here. I'm like, I'm like reflecting on what I've said over this. I see a lot of you guys are talking in chat and I'm just sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm like, I'm in the spot right now. And I'm sorry, I haven't been reading chat during my message, but as I'm, as I'm reflecting on this, I haven't really painted a, a picture of a significant amount of hope outside of one of the first passages that we read together. But I think there is hope that's found within the Bible. And I think God actually does give us freedom from addiction. He actually gives us a line of starting. Because you might have an addictive personality and you might be someone who's prone to addiction, but all of us have the ability to get freedom from the addiction. And I believe that God not only gives us that opportunity, he also gives us the tools that we need. And we're going to use three of them tonight. They're the three C's. I think that they'll be helpful. The first one is this confession. God confesses this. Confession might be the single hardest and most powerful step. And it's the first step towards freedom. There's a reason why most support groups start with acknowledging that you are indeed an addict because confessing out loud that you have a problem and that you have an addiction enables us to begin seeking freedom. And I think very specifically, there's three forms of confession or three people that we have to confess to. The first one is confession to God. We have to learn to confess our sins to God. We have to have a blunt and honest conversation with him. Can I be really honest with you? When I've been in the depths of addiction, when I have been in the depths of sin, the hardest person for me to talk to is to go to God in prayer and to give him exact details of what I've done. To say, God, I was in this place doing this thing, looking at this with these people, and I did this, and these were my intentions because God knows the depths of my heart and he knows my soul. There's nothing that's hidden from him. I think that I've hidden stuff from him because I've hidden it from others, but there is nothing that is hidden from him. And so there is no reason for you to hide anything from him. And addiction holds sway over our lives because it keeps us chained down inside the bindings of secrecy. And we can go and speak to God who we have have no secrets with, but we must confess in intimate detail and exact things what it is that we have done and seek forgiveness. We start with confessing to God. The second confession is confession to ourselves. Confession to ourselves. We must confess to ourselves where we are. If we can't acknowledge it, we can't see it. If we can't see it, we can't break free from it. We must acknowledge to ourselves, I don't have this. I need help. I need help. To find freedom from whatever it is. It could be food addiction, ice cream addiction. You could have a, one of the weird addictions from my weird addictions TV show. It could be porn addiction. It could be drug addiction. It could be video game addiction. It could be social media addiction. It could be screen addiction. Whatever your addiction is, whether it be benign or sinister, whether it be destroying your life or destroying your productivity, addiction is addiction. When our things begin to dominate us instead of serving us and we serve them, Instead of them serving us, it becomes out of line in our lives and we have to fight against it. The last one is confession to others. You can't do it on your own. You need other people in your life who you are able to confess to. And it's not just everybody. Because some people hear this and they're like, you know what? I'm going to type in chat right now. I'm going to say everything in my life that's awful. And you type it all out. And I'm not asking you to do that. Please do not type out the deepest and darkest parts of your life to 50 people, some of which you do not know. 
I'm not asking you to do that. And if you've done that already tonight and you feel comfortable sharing it, that's one thing. If it's part of your story, what I'm saying is be careful. The Bible instructs us to guard our hearts. Be cautious of who you confess to. Find people in whom you can trust. For me, there are three people who I confess to. They are Brady, my wife, and my accountability partner, Justin. And sometimes I'm not even good at that. But we need people that we can trust whom we can confess to. The second, see, the first one is confession. The second one is counsel. Once again, you can't do it on your own. After you've learned to confess and taken the first step, you need to seek and find help. We need counsel. We need people who are wiser than us. We need people who have worked through it. Sometimes we need to hire those people to step into our life. You know why I got so much benefit from meeting with Brady? The main reason I got so much benefit from meeting with Brady is this. I was paying him and it didn't make any sense to pay somebody so I could lie to them. I could lie to anybody I wanted to. I didn't have to pay them a dime to go and lie to them. It meant something that he was meeting with me and that he was pouring into me, but it also meant something that it made no sense for me to lie to him. So he got everything. We need counsel. We need people in our lives who can pour into us, who can help shape us, who can stand over us, and who can help raise us up. We need counsel. And finally, we need community. We need community. There's a reason why AA and NA have not only sponsors for counsel, but they also have group meetings for community. Because there's something powerful about confession in the context of community, and there's support, and there's prayer, and there is connection that we can have to other people through community. Confess, counsel, community. Conf and I think, honestly, I think in that order. Because sometimes when we go to community before counsel, we really screw up the community because we just come in and we overshare or we undershare or we're not really sure how to build the relationships. Whereas counsel can help guide us in building community towards recovery. We need people. We need people who can hold us accountable, who can encourage us when we fail, who can stand with us in the midst of suffering, who can say, I've been there and I found freedom. There's hope for you. Listen, if I was able as a pastor for years to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I need help, you are capable of it as well. You're not alone. It may seem isolating, but the key lie of the devil is that you are alone. He speaks into our lives and says, you're the only one that deals with this. You're the only one with, that's looked at that. You're the only one that goes there. You're the only one that does this thing. He speaks shame and guilt into our lives. Let me be clear. The Holy Spirit speaks in the words of conviction. Conviction causes us to, to reject the way that we've been living, but embrace a new way of living. The devil speaks to us in guilt and shame, which speaks to us negatively about what we've been doing, but chains us to do it again. The Holy Spirit brings about confession. The enemy brings about isolation. And there's freedom and there is hope on the other side of whatever it is you feel chained to in your life. There really is. And it might not be tomorrow that you wake up and it's there, but there is freedom and there is hope on the other side of it. And I'm telling you right now, you might be able to strive to, I know, I've known people who've broken free from addiction without Jesus, and you might be able to do that. I can tell you, I'm not that type of person. I needed God. The single most beneficial thing in my life has been Brady. But what has been better than that for me has been the Holy Spirit. 
because it's truly the Holy Spirit that stepped into my life at key moments and broken the chains of addiction and given me freedom and the ability to step out and get help in other ways that I couldn't. I'll just be very real with you. I just like this has been too much of a struggle for me to not be honest. Sometimes I just wouldn't be this blunt. But like if you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. Like you need Jesus. A lot of times I'm more subtle with that pitch because I'm like, I want people to get to know us and I want them to understand who we are. I wasn't even planning on saying you need Jesus tonight. Can I just be really honest with you? If you're in the chains of addiction, like you need Jesus, like you need hope, you need forgiveness, you need salvation, you need Jesus. And you can put your faith in Jesus tonight. Or you can reaffirm your faith in Jesus tonight. Wherever you are, I don't care where you're listening to me from. I don't care if you just stumbled in here and you've never said anything in chat. You can give your life to Jesus tonight. And you might not wake up tomorrow with freedom, but you can wake up tomorrow with hope. And hope is always the start to something better. It's always the start towards freedom. Confess. Counsel. Community. I believe that these are three stepping stones that begin our pursuit of freedom from addiction, mental clarity, and hope in our mental lives. That's our next step this week. Let's throw it up on the screen. I will confess, seek counsel, or seek community in my recovery this week. I'm not sure what C you're on. I'm going to take a wild guess. Say most of us are on C1, confession. Most of us are there. We're on C1 right now. We're on confession. And if that's where you are, great. It's not a bad place to be. It's the starting place. This is where you can muster up the courage, find somebody to confess to, confess to yourself, start with God, confess to him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please, 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 please reach out to me tonight. Reach out to one of our dream team members. Let us know. We, the next step might not be working, but you guys know what it is. We want to pray with you. We want to tell you about the salvation and the hope that we found in Jesus. Please talk to us. Let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you. I praise you, Father, for you are good and holy and loving and kind. And even to me, a wretched, pathetic, and pitiful sinner, depraved and lost, you've brought hope, redemption. You've allowed my story not to be shaped by my shortcomings, but to be shaped by your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness. You've given me more than I could ever have asked for and far more than I deserve because of your goodness and because of your grace and because of your love for us. For Father, I, I, don't, I don't care what anybody else in chat tonight or anybody else in the church thinks they know what I deserve. I know what I've deserved. And I haven't received it because you've loved me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, I lift up every person here tonight who's hearing these words but feel numb to it. Because the truth of the matter is they gave up fighting their addiction years ago. And instead of fighting it, they've just embraced it. And instead of feeling anything right now, they feel absolutely nothing. And the emptiness and the void is more painful than anything else. And the fact that they can't shed tears and they feel no guilt and they can't find freedom is far more damning and far more difficult than any amount of whatever else they had in their life. The numbness is the worst. I pray for them, Father. Would you break them free from submission to addiction? 
Would you break their hearts out of that even right now? Holy Spirit, would you come down on them like you came down on me all of those years ago and broke into my life and broke me out of numbness and broke me out of complacency and broke me out of surrender to sin and enabled me to find freedom? Would you break into their life now, Father? Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.